Hey, it's David Goldstein. Uh, we've got a lot of content from interviews we've been conducting over the previous year. And this one is, I think, is particularly important. On episode 13, we talked about monopoly and monopsony, and nobody has covered market concentration longer and in more depth than Barry Lynn, the director of the Open Market Institute. He is the author of Cornered, The New Monopoly Capitalism and the Economics of Destruction. And we talked to him not just about the dangers of monopoly and monopsony, but what some of the policy solutions might be. Actually, a lot of stuff has happened since we, we last talked. You know, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about what, what you, you want to talk about, but I thought maybe we'd start with your reaction to Senator Warren's proposals on um, uh, antitrust and uh, regulating the big tech firms. Oh, uh, we were thrilled. You know, we were completely thrilled by that proposal. You know, we've had a conversation going with the senator for a number of years now. Uh, the senator, as you may recollect, she gave a terrifically important, probably the most important speech about anti-monopoly since the 1930s, back three years ago, 2016. And uh, that, in her speech in 2016 really put sort of America's monopoly problem on the map uh, in a way that it had not been before. So this speech or this presentation, this set of policy proposals that she put out uh, a couple of weeks ago was building atop that, uh, and it's very specifically focused, obviously, on, on the tech platforms. It cut straight to the, the heart of the problem, which is uh, both the structure and size of these corporations and then the behavior of the parts of them that are monopolies. And uh, so what we see in, inside of this set of proposals is the actual fixes that will get to get us to where we want to go uh, in the United States. And and some of these proposals are kind of use antitrust law in the traditional sense in terms of, say, splitting up uh, Facebook, uh, separating WhatsApp and Instagram from Facebook. Others use regulation. Could you could you explain more specifically what what Senator Warren proposed? Well, I mean, it's, what she proposes is a restructuring of these corporations, both putting a limit on their size. You know, sort of saying any corporation above a certain size uh, will be sort of treated differently, either broken up or, as you said, regulated. And then also sort of uh, putting restrictions on their structure, and you know, corporations that are of vital importance that provo provide a vital intermediary role, the way you know, Facebook does in communications, the way Google does in various forms of communications and search, uh, the way a Amazon does in, in various forms of, of commerce. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you've achieved a sort of dominant position uh, as, a, as an intermediary between people who are selling or thinking something or writing something and the people who are buying it or reading it, then you're going to be treated differently than you are now. And, uh, and that's what she's really talking about here is various forms of common carriage regulation, which you can achieve. Uh, you can achieve it through uh, in a variety of ways. Some of them are actually you can pull it out of the antitrust toolbox. But sometimes in the past we've used reg uh, sort of uh, top-down regulatory systems. 
there's a whole number of ways you can achieve uh, common carriage. But the fact that she's putting these uh, solutions out there and, you know, just that are going straight to the structure and, and to the behavior of these supergiants uh, is it's really it's transformative of the debate. Just take a moment to define that term common carriage and why it would apply to a company like Amazon. A common carrier, you know, the concept of common carrier in the United States, I mean, we, this is what we applied to the railroads, you know, beginning right. at the state level in the middle of the, of the 19th century, at the federal level beginning in 1887. Uh, you know, we applied common carriage to, to the uh, telephone companies and the telegraph companies. We applied that to the electrical utility uh, corporations, to pipelines, to, uh, to, to the airlines, uh, to, to the broadcast corporations in various respects. So th this is a, we applied common carriage to the telecommunications firms in 2015 when Tom Wheeler uh, announced the net neutrality decision. Net neutrality was a common carrier approach to the carriage of information on the lines that are controlled by AT&T and Verizon, for instance. Right. And, and, uh, in so that, this is and in that case, just to be clear, net, net neutrality means that uh, these broadband providers cannot discriminate the content that's uh, going through their broadband. Yes, and that's and that's the essence of common carriage is that you cannot discriminate. You have a vital monopoly. You know, you have in these cases all of the instances I just mentioned, these are monopoly networks. But even before the monopoly network, we applied common carriage to ferry boats. We applied common carriage to stagecoaches. We applied common carriage to uh, inns. And uh, and actually you can trace this back to Roman times. You can trace common carriage back to Babylonian times. This is a, a very, very old uh, form of regulation that says if you control a monopoly, you have to treat everybody the same. You can't pick and choose who you carry. It's exactly what you said. It's non-discrimination. And these kind of rules, it, it plays out in a couple of ways. It's like everyone gets the exact same terms of service and everyone gets the same price for that service. Right. So and in the, the case of, of, of Amazon, Amazon's marketplace is uh, the dominant place for other companies to sell their goods. This would prevent Amazon from directly competing in the marketplace with its own Amazon basic products. Uh, that's actually a, uh, that's a important secondary. What you're getting at is an important secondary action to reinforce the neutrality of these sort of uh, essential middleman monopolies. And what you're get, uh, talking about there is vertical integration. Yeah. And, and this, again, uh, is, goes back to the, well into the 19th century uh, at the federal level. It goes – actually, I've, I've traced it back into the 16th century in English law, at least, you know, where if you're a trading company, you can't engage in manufacturing. If you're a transportation company, you can't engage in trading or uh, manufacturing. If you're a bank, you can't uh, compete with the people who depend on you for banking services uh, and for credit. And in, in the, like you're talking about with Amazon is like right now Amazon routinely it's part of their business model. They study what the people who depend on them to get to market. They study their businesses, and if they like the business that someone's engaging in, they'll just replicate that person's business uh, up to the point of just stealing it, completely displacing the original business person uh, with an Amazon branded, Amazon owned business. Uh, they do this in publishing. They do this in toys. They do this in electronics. They do it in, in sector after sector after sector. In any 
previous era of American history, that would have been absolutely and completely illegal. It, it's not really that um, much different from what Standard Oil did. It, yeah, Standard Oil, and actually that's an interesting thing. Is that's, a, that's a great example, uh, you know, because uh, you know, people's uh, John D. Rockefeller, some people say, oh, he was more efficient, and that's why he, became, uh, he was able to build Standard Oil up to be so large. Actually, what, he, uh, what uh, John D. Rockefeller did is he leveraged control over the railroads. Uh, he ba- he basically captured because he he owned so much of the um, product that was being transported on the Pennsylvania Railroad, and he also he also provided the Pennsylvania Railroad with all of these lubricants that they needed to keep their engines running, and he sort of leveraged his ability to control the Pennsylvania Railroad into um, uh, blocking all of his competitors off the railroad. He used the uh, uh, the railroad to serve as his. Uh, his wall around his corporation. And that's actually the same thing that happened with Carnegie Steel. Car- uh, uh, Andrew Carnegie learned how to leverage the power of the railroad against the other steel corporations and block them from market and become the dominant steelmaker. It wasn't because he was doing anything better. It wasn't because he had a better product. It wasn't because uh, he was more efficient. He actually just figured out how to leverage the railroad before his competitors did. And at that point, the, the laws preventing this kind of discrimination were not so clear uh, that he was unable to do so. How exciting is this for you after all these years to see these issues suddenly come to the forefront of a presidential campaign? You know, it's it's it is exciting in a certain way, but it, you know, for us it just means more work. You know, we already had a lot of work, and now we just. Uh, uh, it's like, oh, that's great, but it, it means that okay, we got to do this document, we got to do this document, we have to have run this event. Uh, we just so there's actually not a lot of time to uh, you know uh, to think about it. We just uh, there's this opportunity. We just see there's this amazing opportunity this year. In the two years before the next administration is taking office and and to really beginning to fill its positions, we have two years in which to. Uh, really ensure that as that next administration is taking office, they are doing so with a traditional American anti-monopoly, pro-democracy philosophy in their minds, you know, and when they think about what to do about big tech and and also about the economy in general, because this is not only a problem with big tech. I mean, we see monopolization across the whole United States political economy, and this is a problem in you know, as you know, it's, it's a problem in hospitals and, and food right. and farming. So we just see uh, this is this it's an incredible opportunity to actually get at the heart of all of these problems that affect just about every single American in uh, multiple bad ways. I want to go off on a tangent. I, I don't know if you've given any any thought to this. If you, if you have any comments on the the current scandal over the Boeing 737 MAX. Uh, the fact that you had really the only commercial jetliner maker in the U.S. certifying itself, its own mm-hmm. planes. Uh, how much of that is just regu- the run-of-the-mill regulatory capture, and how much of that is a result of Boeing's monopoly power? It's probably about 99% a product of Boeing's monopoly power. 
And there's two parts of that, that story. There's the, the fact that it's, it's regulating itself, that it's captured control over the regulation process, that it's captured control over the White House. And we saw the CEO of Boeing in the midst of all this call up Donald Trump and say, uh, President Trump, can you help us protect us against these complaints by the the Ethiopian government and the Indonesian government, you know, about the flaws in our product, you know, which is really an outrageous thing. But there's another side to this, which is the fact that when you only have a single buyer uh, in a manufacturing system, in, in major airline, in airliner construction, you just have, at this point, uh, we have Boeing and we have Airbus. And just earlier this year, within the last year, we saw uh, Boeing essentially take control over Embraer, which was makes smaller airliners down in Brazil. And mm -hmm. we saw Airbus essentially take over Bombardier, which makes smaller airliners in Canada. Uh, so we went from two major companies and two smaller companies to just two corporations. One of the, the results of that kind of consolidation in an industrial system is that the system itself becomes... Uh, more subject to failure. It's, it's, you don't have the competition you need to uh, improve the products. In fact, you end up with decay, uh, a sort of a, de uh, a degradation of the quality of products. Uh, you have degradation of the quality of systems. You have degradation of the, the systems for innovation, uh, you know, up to the point of just the ceasing of innovation. Uh, so industrial monopoly you know, some people say, oh, it's more efficient. It's, you know, we only have to have one manufacturing line, and that means there's no waste. No, actually, when you only have one manufacturing line, what you have is fantastic waste, and you have uh, a breaking, a, a slow and then more rapid breaking down of the system, so you actually don't end up having products and services that you need as a society, as mm -hmm. individuals. So this is a huge, hugely important issue at a time when we're, we in our society, we're trying to figure out how to continue to be able to move around the world in trains and planes and automobiles. And what we're seeing, however, is because we're not policing monopoly, we're seeing the monopolists, the capitalists in the system come in and break these systems of, of manufacturing, of innovation down. They're destroying these systems so that we do not have the tools we need to make cleaner airplanes make cleaner trains, make cleaner cars uh, for the future. Right, right. because if Boeing and Airbus don't want to do it, it doesn't get done. It doesn't get done, and they just say, hey, sorry, it, we're busy. You know, Call I, back next week. I've always found it a little funny that the, the same folks who rail against the uh, inefficiency of collectivization and nationalization, having a state-owned industry, seem to have no problem with the monopolization that comes out of market forces. And that's what we're seeing here is exactly that. What we, there's those folks who are railing against state takeover, against uh, you know state control. You know, one way to actually re restate what you just spoke about is they're promoting what they pr promote is estatism. They promote private states. Because what we see with Boeing, what we see with, um, with Amazon and, and Google, uh, these are private estates that have absolute control 
over certain manufacturing, over certain flows of information, over the delivery of certain types of entertainment. And it's a type of control that we have never, ever allowed any previous organization, and certainly not the government, to have. It's almost... Uh, we're almost back to the uh, mercantilist era <laughs> where you had these state-chartered monopolies. Uh, Google, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, they're like the new uh, East India Company. Yeah, they're like the East India Company, but with the ability to read your email and track where you tr uh, uh, drive and track where you walk and track with whom you're speaking every day, every moment. And then they have a license to buy up all of the different databases, all the different information that's being captured by, about you from your bank, uh, by other applications. So what we see here, it's the, it's the British East India Company plus the KGB. <laughs> so, so instead of a tea party, what we need is a data party. Uh, we need to go and grab our data and dump it into the harbor and protest. That's exactly it. We and the thing is, is that the data, it's it, you know, because it, the thing is, it's it's our data. That's, right. Uh, and, and that is one of the, that information that Google, for instance, they have all this vast cache of information about us as individuals, but also us as a public. And they want to keep that private. They want to control the doors to that data. They want to say, we're going to decide what gets commercialized off this data and who gets to commercialize it. And lo and behold, it's going to be mainly us. So, so if we had uh, WhatsApp and Instagram competing with each other and with Facebook instead of both being owned by Facebook, uh, maybe they might compete with Facebook over how to better protect your privacy. Well, yeah, and that's a good uh, start. Uh, but you know, one of the things that uh, you know, going back to the discussion of common carriage, uh, you know, people haven't under necessarily understood what common carriage really was. Common carriage was the first privacy legislation. You know, hmm. and and it's basically what is it saying to the middleman? It's saying to the middleman, well, you don't actually get to use all this information that you know you've gathered about the business of the people who depend on you to get to market because you know when they, where they're shipping from you know what they're shipping you know how they're shipping it you know and what quantities they're shipping it right and that's all information that you can use to control them and manipulate them especially vis-a-vis -vis their competitors uh, but you know what because you have to carry everything at the exact same price on the same terms on a first come first uh, served basis that takes all the value out of having that information. So that's why common carriage is our first privacy legislation. And so people are now trying to create new privacy legislation. We actually have all, most of the tools we need in common carriage law. It's becoming more and more clear that we're going to win this fight. You know, it's like it, we see you know, the, the number of people who are willing to stand up uh, and, and point their fingers in public at Google and at Facebook and at Amazon grows by the day. The awareness that we have to do something about these powers uh, grows by the day. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the conversation has really shifted already from, well, should we do this? Could we do this? Do we have the right? Do we have the power to do this? To the, the conversation really now is how are we going to do this?
What are the particular ways in which we are going to rein in Google, Facebook, and Amazon? That doesn't mean the end of search. It doesn't mean the end of uh, having like one button buying of, of things and having them delivered to your house. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to, uh, you know, uh, sort of uh, create a system of communications with uh, that uh, that combines, uh, you know, your ability to talk to grandma with your ability to talk to your your your, your grandson. Uh, like in Facebook, uh, we're going to have all of that the day after we fix Google, Facebook, and Amazon. It's just that the system at that point is going to be safe and it's going to be serving us. Oh, that's a novel idea that uh, <laughs> these companies should be serving us instead of a handful of shareholders. Well, yeah. thanks for your time, Barry. Hey, great to talk to you. Thanks. Bye-bye. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. The magic happens in Seattle in partnership with Large Media. That's L-A-R-J Media and the Young Turks Network. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks, And peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. And one more, you should definitely follow Nick on Twitter at Nick Hanauer. As always, a big thank you to our guests, and thanks to you for listening from our team at Civic Ventures. Nick Hanauer, Zach Silk, Jasmine Weaver, Jessen Farrell, Stephanie Irvin, David Goldstein, Paul Constant, Stephen Paolini, and Annie Fadley. See you next week.